Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. The following sermon is part of our Fall 2021 Belonging series at Ormwood Church, where we are exploring stories of belonging in the Bible. So our passage from today takes a bit of a preamble um, so that you understand what's happening in our particular passage. Naomi was a woman of ancient Israel who moved to the neighboring country of Moab with her husband during a famine, sometime between 6 and 4 B.C., Um, While there, they raised two sons who then married Moabite women. And Naomi's story at this moment in our story is quite tragic. Her spouse dies, then both her sons die, and Naomi is left almost alone, but not quite. So listen now for a word from God. Then Naomi started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people in Israel and given them food there. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return to you with your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband, and even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they all wept aloud again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Naomi said to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods after your sister-in-law. Return, return. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus, and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. Thus ends the reading. How many times have you heard the phrase, you don't choose your family? It is a slightly passive-aggressive attempt to link your responsibilities and your holidays and your belonging to the other humans who share your bloodline. Often your parents, maybe siblings, cousins, aunts, and uncles, it's a way of establishing belonging, for better or worse. 
And we want to establish belonging because it's an essential part of being human. You want to love people and for them to love you. We need to know others and to be known by them. It's how God created us to be, and it's a good thing. But it's also a tricky thing. Because you don't choose your family. But sometimes you do have to choose to whom you belong. And that isn't getting any less complicated as our family structures in the 21st century adjust and belonging feels more and more up for grabs. Belonging has changed for many reasons, especially marketed in our family of origin. People in the U.S. and across the world have become more mobile, and it's not unusual to list all the different locations where siblings live across the country when you introduce your family. And you might say this is a younger generation thing, but currently, Kathy and CJ in our congregation, um, some of our older members, are in Maine visiting CJ's father. And Kathy's siblings live in Washington and Oregon State, and she lives in Georgia. She's 79. But there are other reasons that belonging to a family and navigating what that looks like is more complicated than it used to be. There are larger cultural differences now even within nuclear families. At Thanksgiving, you might have people from one family coming from urban Atlanta and another from rural Georgia. You might have people in the same family visiting even from different countries, whether they're from those countries or have simply lived there long enough that you can't tell the difference. And how people know and understand God or religion is no longer monolith as well. I mean, it never really was, but those differences are making themselves a bit more pronounced. So while belonging is essential, and we talked about that in our Genesis passage our first week, it is also in flux. Has it always been this way? Probably. Does it seem like we are in new negotiations and ways of imagining it now? Absolutely. I've been reading an interesting book lately by Priya Parker on the art of gathering, and we see the complicatedness of belonging even on a large scale and how gatherings and parties are organized these days. She talks about how etiquette classes at one point in U.S. history made sense. They helped people belong because etiquette was an agreed-upon body of expectations that were generally valued across middle and upper-class white families. And while it was a way to mark who was in and who was out, It did also give some lubricant to what could be awkward social settings, and it helped people feel like they belonged because they knew the rules. But now, it is not uncommon to have standard etiquette miss the mark completely, probably because it was a created thing like Cotillion in the 1970s for a particular group of people for a particular sense of belonging. And it's 50 years later and much more diverse. So where you place a fork is no longer the resource we really need to know in order to belong in a space. And I'm particularly grateful for that. Parker says, because of this, many gatherings are actually getting explicit or agreed upon rules established for these gatherings. And those rules negotiate spaces of belonging, allowing for more diversity and a better sense of welcoming, or at least an even playing field. These rules are different than the classic etiquette and often show up on the invitation to the gathering. Rules like keep your cell phone in your pocket or everyone wear the color white or we're going by first names only at this party. These agreed upon rules better establish and foster belonging across diversity. Okay, 
Now, what on earth does all of this have to do with Ruth? What does all of this have to do with whether you choose your family or not? And I offer this example from Priya Parker because it shows how belonging is an ever-changing thing. We often feel like we must negotiate it in better or worse ways our whole lives. And this might seem scary. Belonging is so essential for us as humans. How can it change? How can it feel up for grabs? It's especially scary when the belonging that changes is the one you thought was most stable, like belonging in your family of origin or fidelity to a spouse. Or it's scary to think we're mortal and the people we belong to and with are mortal as well. Belonging is scary because it is vulnerable and it demands much of us, but it is worth it. It is a gift and it is worth working for. So take Ruth and Naomi, for example. They were dealt a very difficult hand. They started out belonging to a typical family in 600 to 400 BC when this book was written. They had a patriarch and a matriarch to establish the family land, and then two grown men to help provide income and labor, and two wives to support Naomi in managing the household, which includes a lot more than what we might imagine like growing your own food and then cooking it and weaving your own clothing and forming tools. Let's just say their Instagram account would be a lot more industrious and a lot less magnolia. And all of these people in their family were necessary to survive. They belonged to each other in order to survive as a species and as a family. But belonging is fragile sometimes. In the peak tragedy of the story, all of the men die. No men in the family means no protection, no outside income, no rights under the law. It was a bad deal. It was hard to belong in society for the remaining women. The patriarchal ways of belonging that society offered no longer worked for them, for Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. Belonging for these three women, it seems, was a bust. Naomi tried to convince her daughters-in-law to abandon her and go seek a better future with their families of origin. Naomi assumed that belonging to and with her was no longer desirable. She was able to convince Orpah, but for some reason, Ruth stays. Ruth had found her belonging with Naomi. A bond of care and affection and trust must have developed between them personally. But it goes deeper than that. Ruth says, Your people are my people. Your gods are my gods. Where you are buried, your ancestral land, that's my land. And in 600 to 400 BC in that part of the world, to be born in a specific land of Moab meant you were born to an ethnicity and into a religion as well. You didn't choose these things. They were permanently given to you. Your land, your gods, your people, all were based on where you were born. And this is much different than our religious choices these days. But in Ruth's time, it was some of, somewhat unheard of to choose a new land or to choose a new religion or a new way of belonging. But we see brave and caring Ruth saying what is societally impossible. I want to be part of your life, Naomi. I want to be part of your land. Your gods are my gods. Ruth is creating her belonging with Naomi. She is choosing how to belong and where to belong and to whom she belongs. Try telling Ruth that you don't choose your family. 
Naomi reluctantly agrees to stop pestering Ruth to leave her and accepts this deep embrace of belonging to each other. And they start a new life together. That new life goes well for them. The book of Ruth is only four chapters long and well worth the entire read. In this new land, Naomi coaches Ruth on how to prove herself trustworthy with others. Ruth goes into the fields and provides food for her old and widowed mother-in-law, who probably would have been starving. They belong to each other and care for each other and support each other. And in the end, the harvest of that belonging is that they're able to find a larger network of care through Naomi's kinsman redeemer, or as we would call it, her guardian. They belong to each other and to the community. Ruth and Naomi, faithful friends and family members, give us a glimpse that while belonging isn't a given, it is a gift of God that we can cultivate no matter the circumstances. Belonging is a way of doing relationships that honors not just bloodlines or assumed connections or etiquette, but belonging is rather about intimacy and hard work and honesty and valuing of those who are marginalized. Ruth and Naomi made a family. They faithfully enacted belonging beyond expectations and societal norms, and God was faithful in that. Maybe you've been told implicitly or explicitly that your belonging depends on your sexuality or your gender or whether you eat meat or not. I don't know. We're really great at coming up with contingencies for belonging. Maybe you've been raised to believe that your belonging is dependent on certain people at certain times in your life accepting you. Maybe it's your parents. And the rejection of that belonging in those places or to those people is devastating. Not can be devastating. It is devastating. And so, in God's faithfulness, God says, screw the rules of belonging that are out there. And God offers us many creative glimpses in the Bible of how we experience and cultivate and sometimes even defend our belonging. There are so many examples, from Joseph becoming friends with Egyptians to Rahab protecting foreigners to the exiles building gardens in Babylon alongside their new neighbors, to Joseph remaining engaged to Mary and raising Jesus, to the early church sharing their goods amidst each other for any need, or the sharing of the table across class lines in Roman cities. God offers us stories that remind us that belonging is not fixed on a certain person or a certain etiquette or a certain family system. It is a beautiful thing created and defended by God, sometimes in the most surprising ways. And that is the kingdom of God. Honestly, I have found God offers me belonging personally in different ways in different parts of my life. Last year, I had a deep relationship with some people become untenable And God offered belonging, deep, intimate belonging with my spouse and my children and my church in big and small ways to step into that rejection and to feel the love of God surround me instead. In other times in my life, I have felt my belonging in nature. I come from the Pacific Northwest, and sometimes I feel like when I step outside, I know I belong to God and to something bigger than myself based on the wind and the trees and the clouds. I can't explain it exactly, but I feel it. I feel it like John O'Donohue's blessing. May you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you and mind you and embrace you in belonging. 
As a Celtic Christian, John O'Donohue believes that the physical world and the beauty around us is the horizon of the invisible world. So what we see outside that's beautiful and gigantic and creative nature is actually the horizon or the outbreaking of the invisible world that God inhabits. It's such a fun idea, and I have felt belonging there at that horizon of the invisible and visible world. But my tried and true belonging, whether I feel it or not, and please hear me when I say whether I feel it or not, is in knowing and having faith that God loves me and God made me and God doesn't make mistakes. My belonging that sticks when nothing else sticks, when I feel like my belonging in the world is being negotiated or rejected by others or even by myself, is knowing first and foremost that I belong to God. And in that deepest place of belonging to God, we can be a Ruth reaching out to others to care and consider their belonging as essential as ours. Or we can be a Naomi, convinced we belong nowhere, and then being surprised by God's provisions of care in unusual places. And belonging, my friends, works like that in the kingdom of God. Amen.